Hey everybody, welcome to the I Can't Help You podcast. Appreciate you tuning in. Today we have on the show a full disclosure, good friend of mine, Mr. Wes Fisher is here. Wes, say hello to everybody. Hello everybody. <laughs> and of course we got Justin over at the board. Hello, hello. And Lauren sitting to my left rocking those Adidas superstars that I wore in middle school. Yes. They're back in I don't think I action. I don't think those are the ones that I wore, but they're the shell toes. They gotta be shell toes. Yeah, yeah they, they are. Yeah. No, I mean I, those weren't the actual pairs. I guess what I was. <laughs> those aren't. Yeah. Hand me I'm hoping that. not. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> Forty year old athlete's foot that you catch. Right? Yeah, Ew. nasty. Anyway, hey, yeah. good morning, everybody. Glad to have uh, Wes here in the studio today, and. Um, Wes is, uh, well, I'm going to let Wes tell you a little bit about who he is. I've known Wes a long time, and um, I thought he would be a great guest today on the show because in our society today, we, we hear a lot about the sad stories and hopeless stories and situations that really, um, you know, we're, we're at a record level of deaths uh, from opioid abuse. Uh, we Not abuse, I don't even like that word, use and destruction. Um, and, and, and we really are in a time when, when hope, I think, is needed more than anything else because uh, oftentimes it's, it's viewed so much as a hopeless situation. And so when uh, people do experience recovery, uh, I think it's really important to tell those stories and to, to get those out there to, to, to offer hope to other people and, and also because it's just good stories. So, um, Wes, welcome. Thank you. Glad to have you. Um, would you mind just kind of going in a little bit and telling your story, some about people, about kind of what you've been through and, and uh, where it all starts for you in your, uh, in your journey sure. towards recovery? I mean, I mean, where am I starting? Is this like taking it from day one? Like, Yeah. Why don't you take it from day one, you know? Local Boulder guy, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, well, it'll, you know, it'll start before I was born. Um, my dad's a G. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I can read the article. I got the article on my phone. Should I do that? Yeah, just just uh, tell me. Just tell me. Just tell you? Yeah. Okay. Um, so 1984, here in Boulder, at the it was then the Flatirons Athletic Club. Um, the police, you know, get a call about, or I, I guess it didn't even start the police. Start with another another club member, basically wanting the lo- the the permanent locker rental that my dad had, and my dad hadn't been around for a little bit, so they didn't know what was going on. The club clips the lock off the locker, and they find like 10.3 pounds of cocaine. Um, they valued it at, at something close between, you know, half a million and a million dollars in the 80s, which is, you know, a lot of money. Yeah. Um, they get my dad. They get my, the locker's actually in my mom's name, so they arrest my mom. My dad comes forward and says it's him. How um, old are you at this point? I'm not born yet. Yeah, my mom's pregnant with me. Wow. Yeah. So uh, my dad comes forward and says it was all me. Um, the, the current DA at the time, I guess I'm going to go into my fa- <laughs> more of my extensive family history. I've never... I've never recorded or talked about any of this on, on recording. Only before. do what you're comfortable with. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Um, the DA at the time sends my dad to prison for like 10 years. I think my dad got 10, 10 years the day, uh, the day I was 10 days old. Wow. Yeah. So wow. he goes and he does, I think, the first two years and gets transferred to minimum. And I guess, you know, it was pretty loose. He could pretty much walk around and only had to really get through one door. And my mom and him hatch a plan to escape and run to Mexico. And so my mom picks him up out in front of the prison and they go to Disneyland. And at this point I'm like two. Wow. And, uh, wait, so your dad literally 
your your, your mom broke your dad out of jail. Like, out of prison. This actually happened. I'm talking about the pen. I'm not, I'm not talking about jail. We're not talking about jail. We're talking about, talking about like prison. pen. Like, yeah. oh my God. The penitentiary. How'd they do it? What was their... I have no idea. My mom, my mom, I haven't heard a lot of this stuff from my mom. Most of what I know has, because she gets sad and right. cries and sure. most of what I know We won't comes... share the link with your mom. Yeah. Don't. Who's Eloise yeah, keep it from she's freaking awesome. My mom Eloise is a wonderful uncle. human being. Yeah. And, yeah, keep going. No, it's, I mean, it'll be fine. She'll hear it, whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> rough we, we, love you, we, rough love you, <laughs> we love you, Eloise. We love you, Eloise. So most of what I've gotten so far is from my dad's attorney, who I still see around Boulder sometimes, and we'll get back to him later. Uh, who still looks like he's from the 80s, by still the way. Like I've met this guy. He's like windsurfing yeah. and shit. Um, <laughs> Ted, I love you. You're the we best. Like Ted, you're the man. If you ever hear this like that somehow. mustache. All right. <laughs> um, anyway, so mom breaks my dad out of the pen. We all run to Disneyland. We're there hiding out. My dad's trying to get all of his, and again, this is coming from the attorney, all of his stuff, which is like shit tons of suits and his machine gun collection and all of his things shipped from Vail to Mexico. And he's trying to do this from L.A. And I guess one of the other attorneys rolled over on my parents and where they were at. SWAT team comes to Disneyland, takes us all. I go live with my... Do you, do you have any recollection of this? I feel like I do, but it also might be a Disneyland commercial I saw when I was a kid. Right. Like, right. I'm not sure if it's actually the Dumbo ride and, like, police, or I've, like, manufactured that in my head. So it's like you're on the Dumbo ride, it's kind of going around slowly, and then all of a sudden... Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, I don't SWAT know, if, I don't know if, I, if it's a real memory or if I've just, like, generated it over the years, but I got something that seems real well, And it is real, and you were there, and you experienced yeah. it. Yeah. So, uh, parents get arrested... On the on the flight back to wherever, somehow the the police that have me that are taking me to go live with my grandparents at like two or three years old um, are on the same plane as the police who have my mom who are taking her to wherever. And I, like that's the last time I see my mom for that year. And she goes and does a year in the pen. Has this whole you know I am fucking changing my life thing. I will never do any of this ever again. Experience. She had somewhat of an idea of what was going on, but had kind of turned a blind eye because she liked the lifestyle they were living. Sure. Um, gets out and gets really, really into like health food and starts a bunch of health food companies and goes and gets her, her PhD in holistic nutrition. And, and truly, you know, truly, well, I know your mom, obviously yeah. one of the healthiest people that I know yeah. and certainly the most knowledgeable about nutrition, like an unbelievable resource and person who, who absolutely did change their life around completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, I'm going to kind of jump around the story a little bit. That's all right. Mom gets out a year later. I go and I live with her. Uh, or I mean, she, you know, I'm living with my mom and she's, you know, a single mom doing the best she can. Um, I've always had a hard time kind of talking about this for some reason. I don't know why, but she just, you know, she did everything she could. Sure. Um, I had a best friend when I was four years old that was then my best friend for like the rest of my life. And their family was, you know, musicians and like the perfect family. And I always kind of wanted that. And I always wanted to be over there. Um, I had a couple, you know, a couple half brothers in there. Um, but like all through my childhood, it was always like wanting to be with my best friend's family. Mm. Like they were perfect. They were the right. Mm. Um, we spent a lot of time there. Yeah. Like, a, like every waking family. moment that mm -hmm. I could, you know, they're always having pizza and a great uh -huh. time. And I wanted to be there. Sure. And my mom's like trying to feed me like, you know, the healthiest possible thing. Right. And in hindsight, it was super <laughs> loving and caring and like a, a trait that I picked up from her of fitness and health that I love and I really appreciate. Yeah. When I was a kid, I was like trying to sneak off to McDonald's and shit. Yeah. You want a Pop-Tart. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Dad gets out again when I'm like, my mom, my mom married my stepdad, who's a great guy, helped raise me, you know, awesome, supportive individual, you know. Um, dad gets out of prison when I'm like nine again, and 
I go live with him in a trailer in the trailer park in North Boulder for a little while. Um, in this time, so my mom and my dad divorced like right away, right? Um, he he reunites with my mom's sister and marries her at Unity Church over here, making him I mean, both I my I had no idea about this. Part. My dad and my dad and my uncle and my aunt, my aunt and my stepmom. Wow! And so that went on for about two months before they ended that thing. It's like your dunkle. Yeah, my dunkle. <laughs> <laughs> and my mont. <laughs> your stepmom. Yeah, really. Yeah, my stepmom. <laughs> um, and of course, it's in the trailer park. Like, how could it not be? Well, right. Um, so I would like stay with them every other weekend and stuff for like the two months that it lasted. Um, I feel weird airing this out about my family on this, but whatever. It's Come okay. Back. And yeah. we can edit out anything. I mean, it's my story too. You know, yeah. it's their story, but it's my story. Yeah. Um, Shortly after that, my dad goes back to prison. Um, he's there until I'm about 15. Then he gets out again very briefly. I remember him tooling around in like one of the first Escalades and like, we went to Dave and Buster's a couple of times and then he went back to prison. Hmm. And like he... So these are like repeat offenses. Though. Oh yeah, this is third yeah. strike. He's, yeah. he's done though. So he right. like makes bond, runs to Africa. He's there for a little while. Yeah. Gets picked up a year later in Amsterdam and extradited back to the United States. Um, he got out last year and like every so often now i'll get like a weird voicemail it's right. like hey we'd, i'd like to meet up sometime be good to see you like, yeah. fucking what do you want like we could go get nachos like what it, you right. know right. 30 right. years old yeah. i've seen you like you know handful of times in my life i'm not really interested in putting this thing back together right it must be so weird yeah um all right so back to kind of my story less about my dad okay um 15 in high school you know i decided i want to be a football player sucked the first year Got good the second year. Committed myself to the weight room. Um, that second year, you know, I, I was show, I was dressing for varsity as a sophomore, starting on JV, playing well. You know, starting to get looks allegedly from colleges in the summer, just from my weight training regiments. Um, compound fracture my femur, mm. running down the field. You know, horse tackling. A call, uh, the kick, uh, the 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 punt returner. The, yeah, or? well, yeah, it's kickoff. So yeah, kick returner. Horse tackling the dude. Um, the guy's supposed to be blocking me. Like, he kind of cuts and twists me. The guy's supposed to be blocking me. Hits one side of the leg. My first sponsor's cousin. You know, fifteen years later. Yeah. But this kid at the time comes across the field and they both hit my back leg. Ah. Snap oh. the femur. Dislocate the knee. So my leg just kind of made a Z. Oh man. Um. And you know get. Get, you know, it, it ended up taking three knee surgeries to put me back together. Uh, I had a pretty crazy infection at one point. Yeah. But, you know, this introduced a lot of painkillers. Yeah. And that would have really been kind of the first sign that I had this, you know, predisposition to enjoying drugs more than most people do. Yeah. You know, I'm in the hospital with the morphine drip as at 15 years old, just clicking it over and over sure. again. And the nurse would come in and tell me to chill. And I'd be like claiming to be the rock and like threatening to give her the people's elbow and telling her to get out. Really? Yeah. And they're like, okay. So we... a full personality change. Oh yeah. I'm like, you know, yeah. <laughs> get out of here before I give you the people's elbow, like still clicking the thing. And uh, <laughs> she's like, okay, you're done. And they take me off the morphine drip and just put me on a Percocet. Uh-huh. And like, you know, at 15 years old, I'm just, I'm being strange on these things. Right. Right. And then, uh, you know, I lost access to that over time. Right. Um, the, the, inf- I had an f- infection travel down. One of the pin tracks and almost kill me. Um, 
a doctor comes in at one point and he's like, you shouldn't have pain anymore. I'm like, I'm in extreme pain. Like, well, we need to open it up, see what's going on. Next day I'm driving down there, like shivering, can't get hot enough, get to the hospital. They've got eight blankets on me. I'm still freezing. It's supposed to be a half hour to get me in and out. Took six and a half to clean out everything that was behind my knee. And the doctor was like, yeah, staph infection. Yeah. If we didn't catch it today, you'd be pretty much gone. Oh yeah. Um, so coming out of that, you know, I recover over time. I, you know, my parents like, you're, you're done with football. And that was my identity. Right. So then I found alcohol and I started drinking. I mean, my buddies drank on the weekends and it progressed to, you know, three to four days a week. And it was what my life revolved around. It was always drinking. Um, you know, parents forced me to make it through high school um, with a good enough GPA to go to college. You know, nothing to, you know, nothing to write home about, but I went to, you know, it got me into Colorado State. Right. And I went there to party. I didn't go to go to school. No. Um, I was a bouncer through most of, most of it, you know, drinking, I'd say maybe not two days a week and I'd be a dick, you know, that's what I do. Kick my friend's doors down in the middle of the nights. I was a bouncer at a bar and I thought it was hilarious. Just smack drinks out of people's hands, you know, like pop it up on them or smack it to the floor. And this is just like hilarious to me. I think a lot of people don't understand, like, not, I don't know. It might be hard for people to understand who who don't have a personality shift when chemicals enter their body. Oh yeah. Right. Like yeah. they're kind of like, well, what, what you just, uh, some, this sort of dark side, but it's like, it's not like from day one, when you were introduced to Percocet and morphine, like a personality shift yeah. happened kind of pretty much immediately. Right. Yeah. Like oh, where, where I cringe when I see how I, when I think about, and I reflect on the things I did and how I acted. Yeah. Um, but it's sort of the difference, right, in a lot of ways between yeah. people who oh, yeah. don't Talk. have a substance use issue and people yeah. who do. Yeah. Talk about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde right. thing. Like, that's just what it is. Yeah. Um, wake up, you know, the next day, probably most of my college career with, you know, the um, incompre- incomprehensible demoralization. Yeah. You know, just like so <sighs> embarrassed by the things I did. And then, like, the way to solve that is to start again. Right. It's the know? only way, actually, yeah, right? to go back into that. And, like, once you're there, it's like, oh, yeah, this makes perfect sense. I know why I did those things. Right. Let's do some more of them. Right. right. Um, get through college somehow, you know, miracle, five years to get a degree in health and exercise science with doing summer school, you know. Wasn't exactly an engineer or, you know, pre-med or anything. And it still took five years. And pretty much every summer I was taking a couple classes called techniques in teaching basketball to keep my GPA high enough so that I could graduate. But it's a miracle. I made it through. You know, like, can't believe it. Um, From there I moved out to a small town in Southern California to help open and run a destination spa gym. Um, I got out there. I was very bored. Uh, Also, the other thing that I did kind of through college – was start, you know, like amateur fitness modeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was like a, a, a career and a passion that I wanted to do. Well, I, like it, I got like oiled up and like yeah, take pictures exactly. for people and stuff. And I got published a couple times in a couple different things. Can I please see those soon? Yeah, the, the funny. I'll be memeing those. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> Glad I said that. Um, well, the other, full disclosure. The parallel to this is my best friend that I grew up with and his family that I always wanted to be with. Yeah, was a musician, oh. and at this time he's becoming very successful, mm. and I'm still like gauging myself against like him, right? And like wanting to strive for the things he's doing. So it's like he's you know a fucking famous musician. I want to be a famous fitness model, right? But I'm also kind of an alcoholic and sort of a drug addict and do a fair amount of cocaine. But did, did you did you have? I mean, interrupt, but like, did you have any awareness? at this point in your life you're kind of out in the spa realm you're now out of college did did the thought ever cross your mind like 
I'm an alcoholic or I have a problem with drugs. Did it everything? Well, we joke about it and like all my buddies were drinking the yeah. same time. So it was like, no, you know, and Not people really. tried to tell me things. My buddy's parents tried to tell me a couple times. You know, but no one could tell me shit. Right. You know, I'm not trying to listen to that. Sure. Um, so anyway, my, my buddy's, you know, he's on Warp Tour and I'm in Southern California and he's, they set the record for merch sales on Warp Tour that year. Wow. And like, I'm seeing him and we're go, I'm going backstage doing all the stuff with him and I'm trying to be like, keep up, you know, like I'm working at this small gym I helped put together, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, my, my ticket is going to be, you know, fitness modeling. Yeah. So I've, you know, for a few years been doing every kind of supplement there is, and I'm in, you know, pretty good shape, but I'm not very big. I'm like, okay, it's time to try steroids, right? Like maybe steroids are the next step. So my girlfriend at the time is Mexican and her brother's Mexican. We start going down to Tijuana and I'll go and I'll get the, you know, the little shot at the, you know, walk to the pharmacia with the, you know, like the roll up front. Like, yeah, 100%. You know, buy my little green cross. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, get my sure. little violet test and then walk around the corner to a real doctor for right. five bucks who will give me the shot. Then yep. we cross back over. You know, and I've decided I'm going to do a 10-week cycle of this. Okay. So week two or three, I'm like, oh, man, you know, I'm sore and this doing the test hurts and that kind of thing. And he's like, hey, I got an idea. You know, what might help with that would be some Oxycontin. Let's try that. And I'm Th like, this is the doctor? And no, this oh. is my girlfriend at the time's brother. Got it. Um, so we go down there. And that time we, we go and we blow a little Oxycontin. And then we get my test shot. And I'm like, damn, you're right. Like, this is great. This is the perfect combo. Yeah. yeah. And so then the next couple of times, of course, we do that. And then, like, the times after that, it's like, let's bring some back. And so we're crossing the border each time, and they're fucking jamming me up. You know, what are you doing down here? Why'd you come down? And I'm like, just a party, you know. It takes a couple of hours. They're patting me down and everything. And he goes through the border, and they're just like, why'd you come down? He's like, oh, my Tia's birthday. And they just wave him through. And, like, he's cutting the, the bottoms of his shirts with a razor blade, like, right here, and then just lining it with pills. And so I got nothing, and he's just waving through, and I'll get out after two hours. They're asking me questions. He's sitting on the curb like, what the fuck took so long? <laughs> um, and so, yeah, you know, after, after that 10-week cycle of test, I was like, you know, I'm not a professional football player really not making any money with this modeling thing. I think I'm going to give up on the steroids, but this Oxycontin thing is where it's at. So keep go keep going on that. You know, like I spend the rest of my time in Southern California, which is like another year, um, always high. Yeah. Um, come back to Boulder, you know, go through, go through withdrawal because I don't know. At this time, I didn't even understand what withdrawal was, and I no longer had my connection. Right. You know, the, the gym I was working at shut down. It was the recession. It's a bad time to try to open a, you know, a, a fancy destination spa. Get back here. Um, kick. Don't know what happens. Just think I got the flu or who knows what. But I feel better after time. Um, bounce around between a couple of different shitty sales jobs because, you know, it was like the, the fitness industry wasn't paying me what I deserve. I'm going to get a sales job. I can sell. You know, I'll make good money. Um you know, sold cars for a little while, did okay at it, um, sold tax resolutions for a little while, um, which is like the seediest thing ever if you don't know about that. It's yeah. like boiler room shit yeah. where it's like Shady. mostly felons. Yeah. And I'm like fairly freshly graduated from college, don't understand what it is, get in there. And like it was a matter of time before I'm like buying oxys from the dudes working with me on the floor right. and smoking meth and like doing it up. Um I don't think I'm not leaving anything important. You know, I mean, there's like, there's, you know, more than a handful of people that I met over this time who became my friends who are now past, 
you know, and I feel like that's important to note. Like the first guy there that like I really started, you know, sniffing oxy with and smoking smoking meth with, and he kind of taught me how to get into the game and do all that stuff. He's he died la two December's ago, December fifteenth. He'd been he was clean for a little bit. I was trying to help him. He was he'd back and gotten his kids and seemed like everything was going well. And we didn't oh, talk yeah. for about two months. Mm. And then I just saw on Facebook one of our other buddies sent me a message that was like he you know he died on the steps of the Longmont Hospital. Somebody dropped him off just like on the front steps. Damn. December 15th, yeah. had just gotten his two kids back. So it's like, yeah, shit's their scary. Christmas. Yeah. Like, holy shit. Right. Life, their, their lives are changed now. Right, of course. Um, so you're hanging out back in Boulder. You're back here now. You're working at those different jobs. Yeah, I'm working the shitty sales jobs. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. You know, get sick of, of cold calling people. And I, at that point, I was a closer. Right. So, you know, basically just ripping people off. Right. You know, telling them, you know, asking for these... Um, you know, substantial amounts of money to take care of their tax problem. And really, we don't do anything more special than they can do for themselves. Right. Yeah. Right, it's, and right. it gets old, it gets right. sad. Um, I quit that, went to work at the Colorado Athletic Club over here on uh, 28th. Uh-huh. Um, over time, you know, I'm beginning to turn into a train wreck. Danny, you always joke about early, not really joke, but kind of bring up this time of when, like, right. I tried to help you coach basketball. Yeah, I remember. And so here we are at that time. And it was and it was sad, you know. I mean, it was it's because the thing about it was like you. And I say it about everybody. It's like you you're still you. Like you can see the West. That's like this amazing West, but it's also obvious like something else is totally going on because there's like not a level of presence, you know. And I can I can recognize it in a different way. I wasn't sure exactly what was going on at that time. Now, obviously I do. Yeah. Um, but this would be like the time when people, other people who don't know what's going on suddenly go like some, something's going on with yeah. this person and they, they can't really identify what it is exactly. You're like, are they depressed? Are they, do they have a mood thing? Like what's going on? Yeah. You I'm know, and, fucking higher than and yet you were monkey, still, and yet what's know, interesting like... though is like, you're, <laughs> you're still, you're still trying to, you're still showing up trying to help out with things and volunteer and, be connected and that that's i mean that's kind of interesting you know you're still trying in your own way to be of service you're yeah. trying your well, own I love way my to connect. brother and wanted to help you coach and right. wanted to do cool stuff right right uh so i'm on the decline as you can tell from what danny's saying <laughs> and the Colorado athletic club fires me because i'm a fucking train wreck right um shortly thereafter i'm living out of my car you know, and there were these there were milestones along this way where, like, I'm pre-contemplative to having a drug problem, right? Right. But I'm always telling myself, like, I won't ever spend the rent money, or I won't ever spend the car payment. Yeah, I won't like ever those do rules, this. you won't break the lines, yeah. you won't cross. And I'm stepping them. And, uh, you know, over at this point, I'm living out of my car. The repo man's looking for me. Um, things are things are going downhill pretty quickly. I have a I have a extreme, you know, amphetamine, opiate, and scratch card addiction. You know, scratch card. Yeah. Like tell, 50, tell us about that. Fifty to a hundred dollars a day on scratch cards easy. Just thinking what? I don't know. That I'm that I'm a meth addict and I like to scratch shit. <laughs> but, were you, <laughs> but were you also thinking I might hit it big? Maybe, you know, that's more like it's more like a dual gambling. Yeah, like I'd go post up in a parking lot somewhere and get high and do my scratch tickets. But anyway, um on this one winning. Yeah, killing it, right? <laughs> so I wake up this one morning. I've got my, you know, I've got a substantial amount of scratch tickets that I purchased the day before. I've got enough dope for that day. My bank account's pretty much drained. Uh, they'd shut my cell phone off, so now it's not only living out of my car. The repo man's looking for me in my car, and I have no phone. Um, hitting my scratch tickets, like, what am I gonna do? Don't have enough money to buy dope next time. Doing scratch tickets, doing scratch tickets. Two dollar one, getting towards the end of my pile. 
boom, $5,200 on, on one called Mile High Money. Worst possible thing that could have happened. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so at this point, you know, I just kind of like made this connection that was sort of like, you know, I'm, I'm driving to Denver and I've got all this money and I'd, I'd have the opportunity to get caught up on my car. I could get back into a place. I could turn my phone back on. I could do all these things to kind of jumpstart my life, right? Yeah. But I kind of remember making this conscious decision of like, I'm an addict. Hmm. And like, that's what's important to me. Hmm. And I don't really care about anything else. Hmm. And when I did it, it kind of felt like a weight came off my shoulders. Like I no longer had to like pretend that I was trying to Kind of a function. surrender. Yeah, like, exactly. It was like that surrender where it's it like, I'm no longer even pretending. This is yeah. what I am. This is number one. Yep. And I went down and I spent almost all that money on drugs. Yeah. Came back, living in my car. Um, and things got progressively crazier. Um, a couple months later, I was driving to meet somebody about some drugs texting them, clip the median, pop two tires in my car, pull off to the side of the road. Um, in this, at this point, I'm, I'm associated with a lot of things that are illegal other than drugs. And instead of, you know, doing the smart thing, which would be like, get my car out of this situation and me and move, I decide like, I'm going to continue doing these other things I'm involved with. And not only that, I'm just going to have the people that I was meeting about drugs come meet me where I am. Yeah. Which yeah. is like a pretty nice neighborhood in between Boulder and Louisville. Yeah. And so like I'm in a parked car, two pop tires, all kinds of seedy people coming to meet me all night. Um, pass out in the middle of the night in my fucked up car, wake up about 8 a.m. the next morning to an officer knocking on my window. And he's like, hey, you know, open it up. And I was like, no. I'm all disoriented and, you know, at this point, probably withdrawing a little bit because I haven't gotten well yet. And I'm like, no, you know, I'm not going to let you in my car. You're not going to search it. And he's just like, there are drugs everywhere. We don't, we have probable cause. We'll pull you out. Open the door. Um, so they took me to a little shitty police station in Louisville and made me sit there for, I don't know, half a day, just sick. I haven't eaten in who knows how long. Cold. And every so often the little, the little drug task force dude would come in and be like, hey, man, you know, like, I'm the guy who can let you out today. Can you find me a pound? I can get you out today. And I was like, no, no, sorry, no. Um, Wait a minute. Say that again. The drug task force guy. Yeah. Who's because like of working. everything that was in my car. Yeah. You know, he, you know the, he come in, the first officer came in and was like, you know what I did this morning? I spent half of today just going through all of the shit in your car. Yeah. Yeah. But what was the thing about... I, give me so you know what the drug task force is? Not really. It's kind of like it's it's like the unit that's specific to fighting the war on drugs. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so this dude is looking for me to become an informant. Oh, got it. Got it. So I'm sick. Justin's sick over there nodding his head like, yeah, of course. Justin I was with that it, all the yeah. whole way. Yeah. It's like, what, welcome, welcome, Danny. Justin what, knows. What's taking you so long? <laughs> Justin's like, hell yeah, he's eating popcorn. <laughs> so I'm like, no, 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 no. In hindsight, if I had realized what he was saying, I would have given it some thought. Taking the deal. Yeah. Because when I land, landed in county, you know, this is my first real arrest. You know, through through college, I got a handful of MIPs right. and did overnights and whatever. Right. But this is the first, like, real deal. Yeah. And I get there and I'm like, you know, over time. In that first week, I thought they were, every day I woke up like, oh, they're probably going to let me out today. Hmm. probably let me out today. Right. I didn't even talk to my parents. I didn't call my mom for the week. Finally, when I, I kind of called her and was like, hey, what's up? You know, I, I'm in jail. I could use a little money on my books. What's going on? She's like, yeah, we know. You know, the, the, thank God the sheriff called us and let us know, or we'd think you're fucking dead by now. Hmm. Um, 
so in that time, I'm making friends and whatever, kicking it. Um, and, you know, I'm starting to hang out with, you know, experienced convicts and stuff. And, like, made a buddy with this one affiliated white dude. And he's looking through my paperwork and he's like, you're probably going to do some fucking time, man. Like, this, these are some real charges you got. Um, so that was when I started getting, you know, nervous and realizing what was happening. So, you know, hindsight, I'm really glad that I never agreed to work with the police. Sure. But... Had I known what I was getting myself into, I right. would have given it a second thought. Of course. Um, then a lot of people, you know, really, really went to bat for me to go to treatment. Um, the, you know, my my uncle, you know, my, okay, so my, so my my aunt who married my dad got divorced and married who is now my uncle, who's you know amazing guy, incredible, you know, always has been. He's the uncle that you you know you rave about to everybody. Yeah. Anyway, his dad was the old DA of Boulder. And so his dad went to bat for me, and, like, everybody did. And they got the okay to send me to treatment. So I went to Stout Street in Denver. Um, shitty place, but I really respect what those guys do. Sure. It's amazing. Um, a lot of people in the treatment industry, you know, they want to act like they want to help people, but it's, like, it's a money thing. It's a right. business. Treatment's right. a business. Right. Stout Street they they're they're legit mm -hmm. they want to help people that's right. it right like their food's donated from the food bank right you know i think i did 30 day rehab for like two to three grand and while which, you were there did you have any like feelings of i want to get clean now nah. or were you just kind of like doing time doing time yeah joking around fucking around not taking anything seriously yeah. but did you stay clean during that time yeah because yeah. i couldn't leave it's on the sixth floor of that stout street building you right. don't go anywhere it's it's primary well, it's kind of locked down yeah, yeah it's locked down yeah get out and i go to choice house here in lafayette yeah um within the first two weeks i'm smoking meth by the third week i'm smoking heroin in the choice house by the fourth week they realize i'm running game and fucking around in my uas and catch me one night and then drop me off to la quinta um, and from there, it's like, okay, time to pick up where I left off. Right. You know, like found a way to get myself a place on the hill, immediately picked up my, my drug use where it was. Um, and, and all the other illegal activities that I was involved with, like brought those, you know, much sure. higher. And, and most of this stuff, like I've, I've been convicted, I've pleaded on them. I've been caught for a lot of it. There's a few things I didn't get caught for, but you know, most of it I got caught for. Right. You know, right. and I've served my time and I did my plea deals and I got through it. And so like right. largely what I'm talking about is like exchanging stolen goods for drugs. Right. You know, sure. so it's like I got, you know, back, I had this, I had this basement apartment that was like piles of laptops and backpacks full of cell phones and I'm um, fucking war storying, but whatever. No, it's okay. Um, but it's basically, you basically, you had your own like thrift store of stuff. Pretty much, and yeah. And then you well, would sell that to get more drugs. Exactly. And yeah. I had, I, at one point... Like, I had so many bikes yeah. that you couldn't do anything with because they're just stolen bikes. Right. And I thought that I'd be able to do something with right. that I'm, like, selling them to mafiosos by the truckload. Right. By the, like, filling up pickup trucks for $500 a truckload. Right. Which is, like, so fucking stupid. Right, right. Um, it is, but it's what we do. It's what we do. So then going on. Like, I probably lost money on, on those deals. Probably. probably. Like a lot. But I'm, like, just so seems... wrapped up in this thing that I I don't know. Yeah. Um, there's another piece of, of this like basement apartment thing that like, yeah, I got in a lot of fights in college, you know, not as never really as a couple when I was locked up but not a lot. Right. And I've never really been a violent person. Right. But so 
This is a step removed. Uh, the night before Mother's Day of that year, which is probably 2011, 2000, 2010, 2011, something like that, um, I'm driving out Highway 52 yeah. to go meet a guy about a deal. Um, completely disoriented. It's like 3 a.m. Cop pulls me over. My tags on my car are expired by a full year. Yeah. I'm hoping they just won't see the year part. Right, like, sure. March 29th, we're good. Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> He's where you headed. I told him to, to meet my mechanic at like 4 a.m. Sure. Um, you know. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Waffle House. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. And he's like, where's he at? And he's like, I'm like in Dakota. He's like, well, you're headed towards Boulder. Mm. I'm like, oh, okay. Must got turned around in there somewhere. Um, he loads me in the back of the car. Um, so my mom, you know, I, I go back to jail, you know, like I get locked up again. I'm doing a substantial amount of time. My place that I had that was just a shithole destroyed. My mom goes and is cleaning out, right? And she's get, going through everything. You know, I've got, I've got, I was also on probation right. during this. And there was a brief period of time where I was actually trying to satisfy my probation needs. Right. And so I had like multiple, wis- I had a Wizenator, right? Right. And those things are like 200 bucks, but they're really poorly made. So they break and like, you're going to go drop your fake UA and piss is running down your leg. And then buy another one. It's just like this ongoing thing. So by the end of it, I've got a fucking basket of these. And they're so expensive, I don't want to throw them away, but they're all broken. Right. And so my mom is cleaning this place out. Right. There's just shit everywhere. Of, right. You know, stolen goods and baskets of fake dicks. And, right. you know, right. all the things that I'm doing. And right. there's some that I'm not going to get into that were, you know, kind of on another level than that. Sure. But I'm also like, she, she comes to see me in the jail. And she's like, I get most of this stuff. But there's a bunch of holes in the wall. Right. You've never been a violent person. Like, I don't get it. Are you punching holes in your wall or what's happening? And what had been happening was I'd be up for these, like, four or five-day lengths at a time, and I'd fall asleep standing up and put my head through the drywall and then wake up again and do, and do it over again. So wow. I'm explaining this wow. to my mom. Wow. I know, right? Yeah. <sighs> I don't know why this, what the significance of that is. Well, it's just, just, it helps people understand the depths that people get into. So know? sad, so uncomfortable. Yeah, and it's almost unrecognizable to who you are today. Yeah. That's what's so hard about it. And so I, I'm, I'm locked up again, I'm doing this bid, and guys are coming in that I know, and they'll see me in the yard and be like, holy shit, is that you? And I'll be like, yeah. And they'd be like, you seem so much happier now. Huh. than you did six or seven months ago or whatever the last time I saw and you. These are other dudes in jail. Yeah, locked yeah. up with me like, oh man, like you're fucking thriving in here. Yeah. Like compared, yeah. to, compared to what you were on the street, like you yeah. seem like you're on top of the world. Yeah. And I'm like, I kind of am. Yeah, boy, you're you know? safe. You're yeah. Probably, you're protected from yourself. Oh, that was my, what my mom said. The first time I got arrested, she was like, thank God. Yeah. You know? So is this around the time that I saw you? Oh, I'm, I'm so much further down. Oh, no. That's about two times later. Okay. You know, okay. This, this is around the time where I actually start to want help. Okay. Um, you know, get out, go on probation, work release, whatever, fuck it up, go back. Right. Kind of became, was my cycle for a couple of years. Yeah. You know, um, locked up for like, I don't know, 26, 27, 28th birthday. Yeah. Um, then talk about the last time you were arrested. Uh, I mean, are we, are we talking about your part? Yeah. <laughs> Should we talk well, about no, your no, part? No, no, not about my part. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, because um, I want to get to the recovery part too. Yeah. So I want to hear about, like, talk about the last time you were in there and what happened from that point. Because this is, because it only got darker. We know that. And it was yeah. worse. And you got arrested a couple yeah. other times. Should I tell the sushi, sushi story? Sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, final time I'm arrested. Um, I'm living at the halfway house in Boulder. I'm working for a hardwood flooring company. Um, you can't have a, a credit card at the halfway house. They expect you to eat the sack lunches that they give you, which are shit. Um, 
I'm on a hardwood flooring job. The night before they had taken my debit card. I forgot my cash. I'm not eating the sack lunch they give me. So I'm like, okay, you know, I'm gonna go down to the King Supers. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm a bit sick. It's all right. Uh, I'm gonna steal a bunch of. I'm gonna steal myself some sushi. Yeah. You know, I'm entitled. I deserve to eat, even right. though I don't. I can't afford. I don't have money or. Right. So I'll just take it. I'm hungry. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I go down there, get a couple. My buddy gives me a couple bucks to get him a coffee. I get like you know probably forty dollars worth of sushi. Walk up to the little Starbucks thing, pay for the coffee, hide the sushi, acting like I paid for the sushi at the coffee thing, but I didn't. Get out of the parking lot. Little sushi guy's following me, and he's like, "Hey, did you pay for that?" I'm like, "Yeah, of course." And he's like, "No, you didn't. I saw you." And so I start to run, and he starts chasing me, and he starts like talking shit. He's like, "Get back here, you pussy!" And like, Damn. I have no wow. joke. The little sushi God. dude, legit. I swear Damn, to God, on my life, he you. said that. Yeah, he wow. called me a pussy, and wow. he's chasing me, and I'm running. He's like, that's abusive. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> really, I'm the victim. Um, <laughs> But I'm saying shit back, like, if you catch me, you're not going to be happy with the fuck happens. <laughs> and uh, I get away. You better have a sushi knife with you. Yeah, you fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I drop the sushi so I can run faster, and he right. gets the sushi back. Right. Um, but he calls the cops. He's like, we're calling the cops. He calls the cops. Um, I circle around. The table makes the shopping center. Come back. Jump back in my work van. By this point, somehow, just happenstance, my manager who was also on the job site, witnessed a little bit of it. Yeah. And he starts calling me. He's like, you need to come back here. They're calling the police. And I'm just like, sorry, man. You're a good dude, but I'm in the halfway house. If, if this, you know, I'm going to the pen after this, so I'm out. Drive back to the job site, switch out the van for my buddy's car, um, go to my buddy's house, and he lets me stay there for a week. And, like, I have, you know, we spend, I spend every last dime that I have to keep myself well. Um, he's helping to feed me macaroni and cheese, but he doesn't got much money either. So I'm eating like one meal of macaroni and cheese a day. My game plan is when every last dime runs out. I mean, there was a thought in there of starting to go back, you know, starting to steal some stuff from people again to do it. But I'm so upset at this point that the plan is just to end my life. Mm. You know, when, when the money runs out, time to end it. Um, my mom has an idea of what's going on. She starts calling, leaving me these voicemails like, I don't know what's happening, but I can tell something bad is about to happen. Like, you need to turn yourself in. Um, one of the previous times I'd been admitted to, to drug court, to Boulder AITC, and my previous PO called and left a couple messages that were like, Wes, if you come back, we'll, we'll try to call it a, a walk away from the halfway house. We'll do everything we can to work with you. And my mom gets my dad's attorney, the one who I've met at the, at the gym, you know, a bunch of times, to start calling too. And they're all leaving these, these voicemails. And he's like, you got to turn yourself in. I will walk you in there myself. I'll do whatever it takes to get you in there. And so then finally that last day, I was just like, fuck it, let's go. And I went and met my mom. She brought me to, to Boulder County, went in, turned myself in. And then like through the course of my life, I mean, like everyone gets depressed, right? Like everyone has right. times that they're sad or depressed. I've sure. never really like allowed myself to feel that or if I have recognized it. Right. But so then the next two weeks, I'm in a medium in Boulder County with an eye sock you know, so you take a sock, you put a comb in the sock, and then you bring it around, and you got like a little eye mask because it doesn't really darken there, right? So for the next two weeks, I'd get up to come down and eat meals. I didn't go to the yard. I just lied there with my eye mask on, on my rack, listening to music all day, every day for two weeks. You know, I'm going to pause here. I'm going to come right back to it. But the, what's kind of struck me, and I've heard your story a bunch of times and was there for part of it, is that 
even not it's kind of like in some ways like that story when like the story of someone who hasn't met their adopted parents but their life turned out to be very similar yeah like right up until that point like kind of kind of at that point right there we're back full circle to SWAT team at Disneyland yeah oh yeah it's, it's a really remarkable totally unintended completely like you never plan these things out you don't really look at it but it's kind of like it's, it reminds me of the story of, and, and believe me, different situation, of course, but mirror, mirror on the wall, I am my father after all. Like, yeah. like it just, it's even even without intending to, suddenly here I am, whether that's DNA, whatever the Genetics. thing is. What's that? <laughs> Genetics. Genetics, yeah. Well, like, whatever it is that it's like, like, the intention was never to be there. And yet here I am, right in this moment, freedom's gone. Imagine I watch it from my mom's perspective. I know. Well, I have a little insight into yeah, that. Yeah, you do. You do. A little bit, but still. I mean. So, two weeks straight. You know, still wouldn't call this depression. I mean, looking back on it now, it's like, oh, fuck, yeah. yeah. Like, on the verge of killing yourself to lying on a rack in county without moving for two weeks other yeah. than to eat. Yeah. That's depression. Like, sure. I didn't shower. I didn't go to the yard. I didn't do anything. I just lied there and listened to, you know, KBCO. Yeah. And, like... To this day, there's a couple songs that they'd play on repeat because that's what KBCO does. Right, just that when I like I'm down, I'll listen to that'll like bring me back to remember like, oh yeah, this is what I was doing when this was playing all the time, and this like yeah. I'll put it on right now when I get low to like really pick myself up again. Yeah, yeah. Um. So then you know, they one day, the classification dude came. And asked to speak with me. And I got up, go talk to him. And he's like, you want to go work in the kitchen? And I was like, sure. And then I just, it gave me purpose again. Like I started working in the kitchen at the jail. And like it got me out of bed. And then things started to get better. And then my mom started coming and seeing me. And then you started coming and seeing me. So like my mom would show up one week and then Danny would show up the next week. My mom would show up a week and then Danny would show up for a week. Um, you get one visit a week. Uh, and Danny started reading with me and talking. And then... Um, you know, I did my time on, on that there, you know, it was like six months or something. Oh, okay. So there's more to it than that. Boulder AITC, the, the probation officer who reached out to me and said, you know, we'll call it a walk away from the halfway house. We'll do everything we can to work with you. I mean, it still ended up being a fucking felony, but she got me to go back into Boulder drug court, which is a, a very forgiving, amazing program. If you can take advantage of it. And she gave me that opportunity again. And I'd, you know, I'd messed up the halfway house and I'd messed up the work release program at the jail. And, you know, to start out drug court, um, you, you do a six month work release sentence. And Danny was like, I got a program that if they'll let you go to, we'll take you. Which in hindsight, in my mind, being you was like the most generous, brave thing ever. It's like, I'm going to bring this convicted felon man to my young adult program. Hopefully it goes well. I thought the punks needed to. Right. See you. Well, and, I, and I and I I I I mean, there was there was something about you, and there was something in your eyes that told me you wanted to get better. It was it was faint. Well, good. You read. were like a skinny. <laughs> you were like a skinny jumpsuit wearing like hopeless person. But each time I saw you, there was a little bit more hope. Yeah. And I mean, and I was firm too. Remember, like I was like, if you fuck this up, like, yeah. yeah, oh yeah, I was like really like, I'll kill you. I'll you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, you, you put a lot on the line. That's a big risk. Yeah, and people and staff and everybody were pretty freaked out. I bet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the funny part to me is that when you say you seeing me locked up, 
I was like skinny, punk. Yeah, yeah. So at that point, I'm probably 200, 210, something yeah. like that. Yeah. I'm trying to work my way back up into yeah. the 220s. Yeah. Um, most of the other times I got booked into jail, yeah. I was 170. Yeah. But so you, that's but like you wa- sucked but you in, walk emaciated. Buff 250 these days, right? 240? I don't 260, know. 260, but who's counting? 260, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> last couple pounds of that cold last week. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what happened? What was it like? You get out, and all of a sudden you're... Well, so I'm with your offer. Yeah. I became the first person that Boulder Drug Court has ever let do an ankle monitor sentence for their work release sentence. Yeah. I was the first person to ever let do that. Yeah. So then I get to AM House, and I'm doing, you know, shout out to AM House and Danny's show. Uh, uh, I have to do both the AIM House program, and I have to do the Boulder Drug Court program. So I'm meeting two separate therapists like three to four times a week. I'm going to... 10 groups a week, showing up to court every other week to go in front of a judge because that's how drug court functions. Like mm-hmm. if you fuck around on drug court, they take you in front of the judge every two weeks so they can resentence you right away. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a very regimented, grueling program. And it's set to be 18 months. Mm-hmm. And if you, can, if you can do that, they'll defer a lot and mm-hmm. you can, you'll, they'll let you go with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And it's, this, it's basically a... a Separate sidetrack court that's that's meant to recognize, you know, the difference between a career criminal and a drug addict, mm-hmm. which is an amazing thing. And as you, but as you got out of there and you're at Aim House and you're you're doing drug court, what happened to the desire to use? Was it still there? Because you were you were in it heavy and you were around all this stimulus. They so talk about the hill. Aim yeah. House is on the hill. Yeah. You're around all of the places. You're in your hometown. You you you're, you know. I know you. You're reading the booking reports. You're looking. Yeah. You see your oh, friends. Yeah. You know all these things are yeah. going on. Did, did where was the desire to use at this point? I I mean I'm not gonna. I'd be lying if I said it wasn't always kind of there. Of course. Like there's the great fantasy of like, you know, it'd be really great with this movie. Right. Some heroin. Like right. you right. know. Right. But it's this recognition or this inherent core belief that I now have of like. If I go back to that, I don't have a life. I'm no longer anything. Did that come on suddenly for you or was it a, a, a process? I'm saying it for someone who's suffering right now and they're going like, fuck, you know, how do I, how do I break this cycle? I'm never going to be in a position where my life's good enough to not use. Right. You know? Well, and that's the thing. For me, and this is my story, so there's this belief of like, you have to hit as low as I hit in order to come back. Right. And I know that's not true because I've seen it in so many other people right. where everyone's own story is their own low. And then they can, you know, some right. guys it's like, uh, you know, I, I, there was a couple of days I didn't make it to work and I realized that I was on the wrong track and they that's turned around me. and fixed their life. Yeah, exactly. Right. But for me, it's like this thing of, a, of the night before I turned myself back in. Yeah. I had this moment where it was like, I would rather spend the rest of my life pushing shopping carts for $8 an hour than do what I'm about to do to my family. Mm. Mm. And then I went and turned myself in the next day. And mm. f- to this day, it's like this is, I have this inherent core belief where it's like, if I return to that life, I'm as good as dead. Right. You know, I'm gone. Right. So then all I can do is make the most of what I have, right. which has turned into a beautiful thing over, over, you know, the past five years, four yeah. and a half years. Yeah. I mean, your life has completely changed. I'm pretty, I'm very happy with my life right now. And I have a lot of fun and it's like, there's the great fantasy. There's always the this belief or this desire to like someday be able to use again or drink again like a normal person does. Right. But I've seen what happens to me and I've seen what I turn into. Right. And it's like it's not something I'm it's something that scares scares the shit out of me. Right. You know? Like right. I don't want to be that person ever again. No. No. 
And you're in a relationship now? Yep, I'm engaged. You're engaged. <laughs> engaged. Yeah, uh, nice. yeah, and like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help others in in the place where I was. So, so over these past, you know, four and a half years, I've I've started working towards getting the CAC, which you know, which is you, a, for those who don't know, it's a certified alcohol counselor. Addiction. Addiction. But, sorry. Yeah, addiction same thing. And it's something when you're in early recovery, everybody's like, oh, you, you'd like to help people. You should just go this. Right. It'll be super easy. Right. And now that I'm like doing it and trying to go through the Department of Regulatory Agencies and they're like combing through my records, right. it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. Because they but, see felon and then they yeah. go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. I had to go meet with a lady two months ago who went through my, my background check, which is now seven pages long, line by line, and asked me about every single thing that I've done. And it's, it's, you know, it's fucking demoralizing. Right. It's hard. And it's like, but how do I, I need to live in that past of like, these are the things I did. Right. I'm still accountable to them. Sure. And so I'm going to have to do some things that most people won't have to do in order to get this thing. But it's, right. it's staying the path. Right. What a journey, man. What a journey. <laughs> it's like unbelievable. There's always bits and pieces. Like I hadn't even heard some of this. And, and it's, uh, I hear a little bit more all the time, maybe because I'm listening better or because you're getting other pieces of the story in there, but I, what do you, what, what do you say to somebody who's, who's struggling, regardless whether they're as low as you got or not? What, 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 what's your message to them? That you don't have to do this. Yeah. I mean, it's so weird. It's such a strange thing. Like I was talking about before the, the weight that came off my shoulders when I identified as being an addict, Right. you know, like I can identify different times through my life where that, like, you know, the, after I got out for the fourth time and I'm like driving to work and I promised my mom I wasn't going to use it anymore. And I, I'm supposed to, you know, I'm, I'm making a quick detour here real quick to pick up. But like, I know I promised my mom I wouldn't, but I'm an addict. And what's important to me is drugs. Right. You know, my relationship right. with my mom comes second. Right. And so it's this thing of while you're in the moment, it right. feels like the only path. Right. But the message is that you don't have to do this. Right. I know it feels the way that you do. Right. But you don't. Right. There is hope. Yeah. Hope is possible. Recovery is possible. Exactly. What do you do to maintain your recovery? What do you do to to, to stay on this path? Um, I'm trying to not plug. You don't have to. AA you can just say You don't have to be. You can talk about recovery. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I work with other addicts. Yeah. Um, I, I take part in 12-step meetings. Yeah. You know, I, um, for me, exercise is very important. Sure. Um. I sometimes practice mindfulness in the sense of like sitting down and meditating and doing a guided meditation. But for me, really what that is, is exercise. Mm. You know, I like to weight train is what I do. Yeah. And when I'm in there, I'm listening to my music. I'm by myself. I don't fucking do it with anybody else. Right. You know, and like every, you know, all the, every, every kid that I work with is like, let's go lift. And I'm right. like, no, that's my time. Right. <laughs> you know, right. I, right. it's, it's this thing of trying to be, you know, so in the moment, so in the body of every movement that you're doing, trying to feel it to the, to the maximum amount you can. And mm -hmm. that's the mindfulness piece for me. Yeah. How has that changed from before? Because you worked out a lot True. through a lot of that. What, what was the, what's the difference in when you work out today and when you used to work out? When presence. You, presence, you know, presence. It's like it's being in there and trying to really feel this thing. Yeah. To like how much can I be alive as I am doing this and feeling every single little thing that I'm doing because this is what I'm doing right now is all that matters. Yeah. You know, like before it was like get in there and like do it all as fast as I can real quick to, you know, look yeah. at myself, you know, yeah. have other people look at me or whatever. And now it's become this thing of like, 
the relief that I get afterwards, the endorphin rush, all that is like part of my peace of mind. Yeah. It's the, I don't know how to describe it. It's what keeps you centered. It's what keeps you whole. Yeah, exactly. You know? It's your place. It's your, it's where you connect. Yeah. That's a, that's an interesting thing because so many people when they talk about meditation or mindfulness, you know, it's like incense, cushion, you know, thing. and it doesn't need to be that way. I mean, mm-hmm. I, feel, I feel the same way as you. Like for me, sometimes that's just sitting and chilling, listening to music yeah, or taking a hike. Yeah. You know, nature definitely kind of regrounds me, but it's like, we don't have to have these rigid beliefs of what mindfulness is and presence and stuff. It's kind of, it can be all encompassing. And you know, the, the thing I want to say, like basically just being a small part of this journey with you, like being able to, to, to witness, um, because in uh, people, want, you know, we're family friends. So I, I know, I know Wes through, through my kids, friends and Eloise and I were friends before Wes and our friends, his mom and, um, and, but, but so many times these stories end tragically, you know, like so many times these stories for everyone like that, we can talk about hope. We can also, as Wes was mentioning earlier, we, we go to funerals and we hear about people dying and it's very real and that's happening. I think 70,000 people or something last year died of opiate. I mean, it's like, it's some insane number. I don't even know yeah. what it is. So it's so incredibly out there and so incredibly present. And we're still stuck as a society in a stigmatization of this and not seeing it as a health issue. When you talk about a mental health issue, you know, because it is insane to continue doing the things that we continue to do, myself as a person in recovery as well, until you're out of it long enough and in recovery and you're looking back and suddenly you're like, I don't even know how that happened because we're in the grip you know, you're in the grip. Yeah. You're, you're, it's like a, a, a curse or like a, a, a metal jacket. I don't know. I can't even give it a good explanation, but it's not who we are. It's what we did. Yeah. And and my experience with you, you know, I just, I want to say this and I don't, you know, I get kind of emotional about it, but it's just like your, your story is a story of hope and your story is a story of redemption and it's one day at a time and, you know, it could all go out the window tomorrow as we all know. And that's what, but I see you holding that point of view all the time and, and moving forward. And, um, you know, you, you've been a gift in my life. Thank you. You really, really have. And, um, not just because of the pathway you've taken, but you, you helped restore some hope in me, um, that, that it's possible even because you know at aim house people i say well just you know people who have a lot of money but you know like people have access because of this that and the other thing but you you came straight out and took advantage of an opportunity that was in front of you um that a lot of people don't and um and the willingness to go through drug court and the all the people involved along the way kelly luck i mean there's so many people along the way that were part of that journey with you i know it was like a system check with a little willingness yeah (laughs) But you know you, but but impossible without you showing up to the opportunity and um, and then what you give to people. Like I, I watch it all the time. What you're giving to other people on a daily basis and the the opportunities you're bringing them and the example that you set forward from from who you are. Um, it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And this is who you've always been. And and to come out of this story that you've come out of to 
to have had the experience at two years old. I mean, this is a movie. This is like, like this story is just a beautiful story. Like I would read this. I mean, it's just an amazing journey that you've been through. And um, I feel really privileged that you'd even take the time to share it with us. Today. Thank so thank well, you. There, and there's one, you know, before we start to say goodbyes and wrap up, there's one thing on there I want to touch on of like you talking about the the percentage that make it, the small amounts. It's like, I'm in a fucking weird place now because I've got like a couple friends from high school, got my friends from college who probably kind of hate me because I was an asshole. And then all of my friends who came after that are like using buddy, addict buddies. And like most of them are dead. Hmm. And there's a couple that are in prison. Mm -hmm. And then outside of that, there's two others who are pretty much in my exact same position right now who are miracle stories. Mm -hmm. But other than that, I don't got a lot left. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like a lot have died over these past couple of years. Yeah, it's real. It's real. It's so real. And... Um, you know, someone said to me the other day, I got this, this phone call from a, from a mom is like, I know my son's using opiates. I think he's shooting heroin and, um, I don't know whether to cut him off. I'm like, well, I don't think it's about cutting him off. I think about like what, what resource we need. Like, I just don't know if I could have that conversation with them. And I said, you know, straight up, well, then why don't we go into funeral planning now? Yeah. And, and it sounds like a dramatic thing to yeah. say. And I wasn't pitching Aim House, by the way. I wasn't pitching Aim. I was just pitching, like, getting them someplace safe. Yeah. Like, that is real. Disrupting this path. The, unless you disrupt this path, you are basically, you know, put a down payment at the local mortuary because that's where this is going. And that sounds depressing or dramatic or whatever. It's just the freaking facts, you know? It just is where it's going. So as a society, we need to stay awake to that. And we need to continue to provide real opportunity for people to do something different. Some people will take it, some won't, but drug court has proven itself to be incredibly successful. Um, again, some people make it in there, some don't. There are a lot of people who have, and it's a it's a way to, to, to really actually engage in recovery or have access to recovery. And then housing's an issue too. You know, we, we've got a lot of issues to be able to do, and but it is, it is possible. It's possible with the right level of support. So, you know, hopefully, you know, government not giving lip service to this stuff moving forward we can really look at there are successful models out there that work um, and that provide opportunity of course the person has to step through it you can't do it for them therefore i can't help you but they can help themselves and there is an op there is a pathway and there are evidence-based ways to be able to deal with this you know crisis and um and you're a living example actually of how that can go well you know um Thank you for coming in here, man. Really Thanks for having it. me. I've really hogged it. You and I have hogged it like we usually do. Do you guys have anything you want to ask Wes before we move on? Damn, I didn't realize I would have oh, yielded. No. <laughs> All right. I, didn't, I don't have any questions, but I just want to say massive respect for you for just going through such a crazy, um, every, all, everything you just told us about your life and then um, being coming out on top and coming in here and telling us this story. It's, it's amazing. It's cool to get to know you a little better. And Lauren, did you have any idea? You've uh, known him as a, from another angle, right? I I knew like a little bits and pieces, but I've never really heard the whole story. And I heard that it was unbelievable, and it was more than unbelievable. And <laughs> I'm so I'm so happy to have like met you and know you, and I'm even happier that I finally got you on the show. Thank you. Thanks. For <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks. And. I mean, it's a little weird. We're gonna hang out tomorrow, so it's like yeah. we'll do some shit. <laughs> yeah. We'll do some fun tomorrow. But yeah. uh, uh, anyway, I just want to thank you again for coming on the show. And and if in case Eloise or Doug or Austin or anybody listen to this, um, 
love you guys and yeah. and this is just the story all this you. is we appreciate yeah. all you and all everybody's part of the path the like had your, had your mom uncle. not asked me to go visit you at jail we wouldn't have connected in the same way and maybe you wouldn't have gotten i mean all of these things are pieces along the way and your mom was just like she's just a hero you know to me oh my god yeah she's just she's just yeah. like a phenomenal light and being on this planet that just uh, has has been through it, has the credibility of having been been in prison herself, done the things that she's done, and then come out the other side and like is like this beacon of health and wellness. Honestly, yeah, like totally. people wouldn't know it. And she's like, I don't know, what is how old is she now? She's like, she's in her sixties. She's in her sixties. She looks yeah. like she's forty. Like it's crazy yeah. what what all she's been through. And she's, oh she interestingly, and we can talk about that another time, was really hugely there for me when I was cleaning up. That's and amazing. and so it's 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 a long it's a long that's another story at another oh, time. It's, but. it's these like life, you know. I, I don't even know how to describe it other than like synchronicity amends that happen in life where you're able to pay somebody else back, and it creates like this beautiful thing if you can actually take a step back and realize it or, or recognize it and stay alive to be there for it. Yeah, you know. Oh yeah. So. Shout out and love to anybody who's out there struggling. Hope is possible, and uh, there's there's ways, and and we're here privately to talk to you about that if you ever want to reach out. So, um, thank you so much for being here, and uh, thank you to to Lauren and Justin as always. Um, plug for Made Life, MadeLife.com. You can find out more about our show at. You can find us on Facebook, the I Can't Help You group. You can find us on Twitter at I Can't Help You Pod. The same thing on Instagram at I Can't Help You Pod. And you can find us on iTunes. Just search I Can't Help You. Thank you so much. Um, and we will be back at you next week. Appreciate everybody listening. Thanks again to Wes and the Made Life Studios and everybody uh, down here. We'll be back at you next time. Take care.